everyone, and welcome to Before Amber, a true crime podcast about missing people from before the creation of the infamous Amber Alert. I'm your host, Lady Amy. Today's case is a hard one, guys, but I'm going to do my best to warn you before I tell you any details that might be triggering. However, I do ask that you listen to all the other parts of this case, as this case is nearly 30 years old and still unsolved. I believe it can be solved. Someone out there knows something, even if they don't realize that they know it. Please listen and share this story. I believe it is one of the most important cases out there. It pretty much single-handedly changed the way we handle missing persons cases. The aftermath of this story has saved over a thousand people. The victim and her family deserve justice. The victim and her family deserve justice, and time is running out. So for this first episode, I thought we would... So for this first episode, I thought we should start with the Amber Hagerman story itself. I've always grown up hearing her called Amber Hagerman, but I know some people say Hagerman. I think it really just depends on where you're from. I've heard detectives say it both ways. This story is where it all started. Unless you've been living under a rock for the last 30 years, you know what an Amber Alert is. But you may not know where it came from or how it came to be. I thought everyone knew, but apparently it's not as popular as it once was. I was just a kid myself when Amber went missing, and I live not far from the town of Arlington where our story takes place. To this day, I can't tell you for sure why, but there was something about this case. Something different. You could literally feel it in the air. It was everywhere. Everyone was worried, concerned, and scared. How could a little girl be taken in broad daylight near a very busy street and no one know anything? Sure, as a kid, you had always heard about kidnappings before, but this one was different. I even remember one day my mom picked me up from somewhere, and the first thing I asked her was, did they find Amber? Hoping that she had been found. I personally didn't know her, but I was invested in her case just like everyone else. This case is memorable. Since it's how the Amber Alert started, I figured we should start here. So who was Amber Hagerman? Amber Hagerman was born in Arlington, Texas on November 25, 1986 to Richard Hagerman and Donna Hagerman, who now goes by Donna Williams. Everyone that knew Amber said that she was the sweetest little girl that loved helping others. She was just silly, goofy, and all-around fun to be around. In the winter of 1996, Amber was in the third grade. Winters in Texas can often be very warm, but this year seemed to be even warmer than normal. On January 13, 1996, the day our story starts, the sun was out and kids were wanting to play outside. This included... Amber and her family. This included Amber and her little brother, Ricky. Amber and her family were visiting their grandparents in Arlington, Texas, something that they did quite often. For Christmas, Amber had gotten a bike, and she really wanted to go ride it. So her and Ricky asked permission and set out at approximately 310. They were told just to go around the block and come right back. They started off going down the street like they were supposed to until they got to an intersection where they were supposed to turn right. But instead, being kids, for some reason, chose to go left. That choice has made all the difference. You see, to the left, less than a mile from their grandparents' house, was an empty grocery store that had a ramp that they could ride their bikes up and down. Amber and Ricky had done this many a times, 
but they're supposed to only, but they weren't supposed to go unless they had an adult with them. I mapped out the grocery store to their grandparents' house, and it was literally less than 0.3 miles. I honestly think that if you didn't have houses and trees between the grocery store and their grandparents' house, you would probably be able to see the kids playing on the ramp. I'll try to put a link in the show notes and on the website for you just so you can see how close it really was. So Amber and Ricky went up and down the ramp a couple times. Then Ricky got a feeling that they were going to get in trouble and should head back. In the Peacock documentary, a couple times, then Ricky got a feeling that they should head back. In the Peacock documentary, Amber, the girl behind the alert, which is actually one of our sources for this episode, Ricky said that he got a feeling he thought they might get in trouble. So he told Amber they needed to head back. I wonder personally if maybe Ricky had some sort of intuition, that gut feeling that as adults we know something's going on, something bad could happen, that ominous feeling. I don't know if kids are really in tune. I'm not sure if kids really understand what that feeling means. Maybe he sent someone was watching. Maybe he sent something was going to happen. We just don't know. Amber told him to go ahead and she'd be right behind him. I guess we can only assume that she wanted to go up and down the ramp one or two more times. As Ricky was almost to his grandparents' house, he noticed that Amber wasn't behind him. When he got to the house, Grandpa, whose name is actually Jimmy, but we have another Jimmy in this story, so we're just going to call him Grandpa. Grandpa asked, where was Amber? And Ricky said she was at the ramp. Grandpa got Ricky, put him in his truck, and they went to go get her. When they got to the ramp, however, Amber was gone. Her bike was there, but she was simply gone. But she was gone. Now, Amber's grandpa and Ricky didn't know it at the time, but when Amber and Ricky were playing on the ramp, there was a man in his backyard just doing some yard work. This man was Jeb- was Jimmy Kevil, K-E-V-I-L, and his backyard backed up to the empty parking lot of the grocery store. He had a pretty clear view of the ramp. He saw the kids playing. No big deal. Kids did it all the time. But then it was a big deal. He saw a man in a black truck pull up next to Amber, grab her off her bike, throw her in the cab of his truck. Jimmy said the little girl was screaming and kicking, but the man was just too big and strong for her. He immediately called 911 and reported what he had seen. Spoiler alert, to this day, Jimmy is the only person to come forward as an eyewitness for Amber's abduction. Jimmy described the abductor as a male in his 20s to 30s, around 6 feet tall, medium build with brown or black hair, driving an American-made black truck. One report I read said 20 to 40, but that range is really wide, so I really think it was probably closer to 20 to 30. 911. So the call to 911 was taking place as Amber's brother and grandpa were driving to the grocery store to pick her up. So these two things were overlapping in time, in a very short time frame, approximately just eight minutes. Remember, Amber and Ricky left on their bike at approximately 310, and Jimmy sees her being taken at 318. 911 sent out an officer right away. They never want to think that it's the worst but they always take their calls seriously. Abductions were just... Abductions actually weren't... Abductions just usually didn't happen. They thought maybe it was a kid who didn't want to go home and was fighting their parents or something like that. The first responding officer got there 
and noticed two things right away. Grandpa's, Amber's grandpa hollering her name, looking for her, and an empty bike laying on the ground. The officer put two and two together and knew this was the real deal. More officers were called in, and before long, the place was swarming with police and detectives. After speaking with officers for a quick minute, Grandpa and Ricky went back to the house to get Donna, Amber's mom. They told her Amber was gone, and right away, she took off running down the road, screaming her name, hoping that she was in earshot. She didn't want to believe her little... She didn't want to believe her little girl was missing. She didn't want to believe her little girl was taken. What mother would? This commotion caused people to come out of their houses to find out what was going on. This neighborhood was an older, established neighborhood. It was usually a pretty quiet place, so this was definitely out of the norm. When Amber went missing, Donna and Amber's dad, Richard, were separated, but he was still involved in the kids' lives. Donna called Richard and let him know what was going on, and he headed over right away. She had said for a split second she thought maybe he had something to do with it, especially since, as most of us know, stranger abductions is a very rare thing. Most child abductions are done by a family member or close family friend. But she said as soon as Richard got there, she knew that he had nothing to do with it. The police, of course, had to clear him. After questioning Richard, he told them that he was at a storage facility Police were able to spot him on surveillance at this location at the time of the kidnapping, so he was quickly cleared. Back at the abduction site, Jimmy Kevill was giving his statement. He said that the man turned west on Abram Street when he left the parking lot. If you're like me and not good with northeast, southwest kind of directions, let me put it in normal terms. If you were standing in front of the grocery store looking out towards the road, the abductor turned left. This was significant because if he had turned right, he would have had easy access to the highway and been able to leave the area quickly. <coughs> but instead, by turning left, he headed towards the town of Arlington, which would send him towards residential areas, business areas, places he could hide, places he was probably familiar with. At first, police thought this would be beneficial, This made police believe he was a local. This made police believe he was a local, which at first they thought was beneficial. But then they remembered he drove a truck, and a truck in Texas is a dime a dozen. They're everywhere. Okay, I'm going to veer off the story for just a little bit. <coughs> okay, I'm going to veer away from the story for just a little bit, but I promise it's relevant. Back in the 90s, we really didn't have a lot of instant news alerts. We didn't have our phones going off all the time. We very rarely had 24-hour news coverage of anything. But most of the time, we got our news from the 6 o'clock evening. The majority of the time, the first time you heard any news was on the 6 o'clock evening news. The police notified the media around 4:30 that the media The police notified the media around 4:30 and the media announced it to the public on the 6 o'clock news that a little girl named Amber Hagerman had been kidnapped from Arlington. This was nearly 3 hours after the abduction. 
three hours that the public could have been looking for her, three hours that someone may have seen her. A woman by the name of Diana Simone felt this way when she saw that news that night. She called the radio station and she said, hey, I have an idea. What if we had some sort of alert so that people can know? Hey, I have an idea. Is there some? What if we could have some sort of alert that could alert the public when someone's missing, especially a child? If we had had some sort of alert, people would have been looking for this little girl for the last three hours. That would have been thousands of eyes paying attention to their surroundings. She said, surely there's a way to do this. We get notifications for bad weather. Okay, I'm going to cut all this and redo it. <clears throat> a woman by the name of Diana Simone felt this way when she saw the news that night. She called the radio station and said, hey, I have an idea. If there could be a way for us to alert the public, if there had been some sort of a way for us to alert the public, we could have been looking for this little girl for the last three hours. That would have been thousands of eyes paying attention to their surroundings. She said, surely if we can do this for the weather, why not do it for missing people, especially children? So this is how the Amber Alert started. It was this woman's idea. So the radio, this woman's idea, it was first called the Amber Plan and it was local to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. The police department, the radio stations, and other media sources all got together and they came up with this annoying noise. And back in the day, it was actually a different noise, which was even more annoying than the noise we have now. This noise was meant to get your attention and then give you the notification like it did severe weather alerts. It was successful from the very first time they used it. The very first person taken was little was a baby. Um, she was stolen by her babysitter, but she was recovered quickly after unharmed. So because of its success, other towns around the country had heard of it. And so they reached out to the DFW area and was like, hey, how did y'all start this? How can we get this implemented in our town? Before long, it snowballed to the international. It snowballed to the national level. Today, it's not only in America, but it's around the world. So now back to the story. At the abduction site, the police had noticed something else. There was a laundromat that was literally right next to the abduction site. However, the problem was this building the side that was facing the ramp had no windows. So people that were inside the building could not see the abduction site. However, if someone was standing in front of the building, maybe walking in and out, standing outside, smoking a cigarette, whatever, they could have seen something. If they had had an Amber Alert at the time, those people may have realized that there was a girl, may have realized that they saw this girl without knowing it. These people could have realized that they saw the girl that was taken. To this day, no one from the laundromat has come forward and said that they saw anything. 
Once the news broke about the kidnapping, it was everywhere. TV cameras were set up along the road of Amber's grandparents' house. At the time, if someone went missing, To this day, no one from the laundromat has come forward, despite being offered different incentives from detectives and police throughout the throughout the years. Once the news broke of the kidnapping, it was everywhere. TV cameras were set up along the road outside of Amber's grandparents' house. At the time, if someone went missing, the media or the media needed to show what someone looked like. They would show the public just a still photo of the person. It wasn't like it is today where everyone was videotaped all the time. But Amber's case was actually different. You see, for many months before the abduction, Donna was participating in a documentary with one of the local news stations. So Amber and her family had had a TV crew following her and her family around for months. The news station quickly put together a uh, video reel of different clips and pass them out to all the stations. So instead of just seeing a plain, boring, still photo of the missing girl, we actually saw Amber. We saw her reading books with her mom, opening presents, blowing up birthday candles, playing in the driveway with her friends, and riding her bike. To this day, if you showed me that video, I would know exactly what it was. We saw it all the time. I'm not complaining. I'm just... It was a unique thing. Think of it like influencers of today. It was a unique thing. Because of this, this is a reason why a lot of people think this case was memorable or touched so many people in a different way. is because she was a living, breathing, happy person that we could connect with. It's like today's influencers. You watch their videos. You see them post all the time. You feel like you know them, even though you really don't physically know them. Those videos of Amber were for... Those videos of Amber were that to the public. As soon as the news broke, tips started coming in, but they just weren't going anywhere. One thing I will say about this case is from the very beginning, police hit the ground running. They took it serious. They followed every tip, every lead. They just weren't going anywhere. On January 15th, a couple days after the abduction, the police kind of started to get their eye on a man that was close to the family. This man's name was Mike Thompson. Mike Thompson was extremely close to the family. Some would probably say he was Richard's best friend best friend. The police noticed that Mike was kind of inserting himself in the investigation. He would speak to the media on behalf of the family. He was always there. This was a red flag. A lot of times when someone commits a crime, they want to get close to the investigation to see how the investigation's going. But another big red flag was that Mike happened to drive a black pickup truck. So police took Mike in a couple times and interviewed him. I'm not for sure exactly how many times. 
but he was very cooperative. He always answered all their questions and Mike turned out to be cleared. The big reason he was cleared was that black truck was actually a work truck and anytime it made a stop, it got logged and the logs from January 13th showed that he was roughly 30 minutes away. Also, the police figured that Amber knew Mike well enough that he probably wouldn't have had to force her to get in the truck with him. He probably could have just said something like, hey, you know, I'm going to take you to go see your dad. And she would have got in. Mike had seemed like their best lead. But unfortunately, that didn't go anywhere. The police were trying. They had to create a special task force that included other agencies like the FBI. They were trying and they had thousands of leads. They just. And they checked each and every one of them. Okay, guys, so this is where we're going to talk about what happened to Amber. So this is my warning to you. If there's something that you want to know more in detail, like her actual cause of death and stuff, that information's out there. It's public knowledge. You can Google it. I'm not going to go into that. Um, I'm just going to talk a little bit about finding her. But if you want to go ahead and skip ahead, go right ahead. I totally understand. On January 17th, the weather changed. You remember it had been really hot. Everyone was wearing shorts, being outside. But a cold front came in and it caused a big storm. A lot of rain, lightning, thunder. Those big downpours that will flood really quickly. Well, around 11 p.m. on the night of January 17th, a man was out walking his dog at an apartment complex less than five miles from the abduction site. He said that his dog kept wanting to go, like, kind of down towards this little creek area that was behind the apartment. The harder the owner tried to get the dog away, the harder the dog fought to go there. He was barking uncontrollably. So he finally gave in to see what had the dog so upset. And he immediately saw the body of a nude little girl laying face down at the edge of the water. If the water had continued to rise, then her body may have swept away. That was a real possibility. He ran immediately to another neighbor's apartment, got their attention. The wife called 911 and the husband went back to the creek to help watch the body to make sure it didn't float away. Very quickly, the word got out that a body had been found. Police were pretty sure right away that it was Amber but they really didn't want to confirm that with the media. It was all over the place. They wanted to make sure, but it's not like there was, excuse me, it's not like there was a bunch of missing little girls at the time. They quickly confirmed that it was her. I believe they confirmed it was her by birthmarks. The man that found her was cleared. I don't know how he was cleared but I don't think he was ever even a suspect this like I said was around nine o'clock at night police instantly started working um they were going door to door to every apartment in the complex 
No one said they saw or heard anything. The apartments did have cameras, but 90s security cameras are grainy. They're not very clear. And the fact that there was a storm going on made it even harder to see anything. So they just didn't go anywhere. I also don't think that there was cameras at all the exits. <clears throat> I'm not a detective, but the fact that she was on the creek, maybe she had actually floated there from somewhere else. That's just a thought I had, but I've never heard anyone say that. Um, based on the autopsy, it appeared that Amber had only been dead for a couple of days, meaning that police believe that she was kept somewhere. Again, if you want the details on her cause of death, it's out there, um, but we're not going to talk about it. Now, Amber was laid to rest on January 20th. The police set up surveillance everywhere, inside the church, outside the church, the parking lots, the graveside. Everyone was invested in this case. Like I said before, it touched thousands of people. In an article from the Spokane Man Review, Terry Wallace said that over 2,500 people were in attendance. That's a lot of people for a small area, a lot of people for police to comb through. The Peacock documentary, the detective said that they just didn't get anything. They looked for days. They went over the video footage from the funeral. But again, it didn't lead them anywhere. On January 24th, just four days after Amber's funeral, the police got a tip. There was a woman that called in and said that she's called in and said that she saw the truck with Amber inside of it. And not only had she seen the truck, but she got a partial license plate. The police were ecstatic. How could they not be? This had to have been the break they were looking for, right? They'd already been working with the manufacturers, DMVs, dealers to try to narrow down a list of people that owned a black truck. <clears throat> now they were able to give them... <clears throat> Now they were able to give them a license plate number to go with that. They were able to narrow it down and found one match. So imagine the police. They're thinking, this is it. They're excited. Okay, maybe excited isn't the right word, but you know, all their hope is right now. This has got to be it, you know. They go to this man's house, and he's utterly bewildered. He didn't do it. There was no way he could have done it. I don't know how fast the police cleared him, but it seemed like it was very quickly, like there was pretty much no way this guy could have done it. The police went back to the lady that gave them the tip. And guys, this makes me so furious. She admitted that she made up the whole thing. She wanted the police to focus more on the case. The police were already busting their butts round the clock to solve this case. It's had its own 24-hour special task force. There was no way they could put any more time and effort into this. Yet she wasted their time and resources on a fake tip. I, I just... I, I, 
yeah, no, no words. I, I hope she got in trouble somehow. People like this just make me so mad. I will never understand how someone can think a false tip is going to help an investigation. I don't know how someone's brain thinks like that. It just irritates the crap out of me. And that's it, guys. That was really the last big tip Big tip that the police let the public know. Maybe they had something else that they just haven't shared with us. Like I said before, there's only been one person that ever came forward as a witness in this sad story. It's been 27 years since Amber was kidnapped and murdered. On the 25th anniversary of the abduction, the police held a press conference at the site of the abduction. This was something that They'd done before for other big anniversaries of it. They pleaded for anyone that had any kind of information to come forward <coughs> that they could be anonymous. Think about it, guys. <coughs> she was kept somewhere for a couple days. There was a laundromat that had people going in and out of it. Someone could have seen something and not realized it. Maybe you were a kid and visiting a family friend or something and there was a girl there that you'd never seen before and you never saw again. That could have been Amber. Maybe you were at the laundromat that day helping. Maybe you were at the laundromat that day going in and out for some reason. Maybe you saw Amber and didn't realize that it was her. Even if it's not. Even if you're not sure that it was her, it's worth sharing the information because it could have been her. You can be anonymous. Police have let it be known recently that there was DNA in this case. However, it is minimal. They did say in the Peacock documentary that they were considering sending it off. I could not find anywhere whether they have sent it off or not. I pray they did. Personally, I say throw the Hail Mary. You have nothing to lose at this point. The longer you wait, the colder the case is going to get the more degraded the DNA sample is going to get. I say do it. I mean, for all you know, the person that did this is already dead. DNA is solving so many old cold cases. This one deserves to be solved. I'm not a detective, but it's worth a shot to me. 27 years, fingers crossed they did send it off. Fingers crossed it comes back with something. So many cases are solved these days. This case needs to be added to the solved list. So guys, thanks for listening. If you have any information, please call the Arlington Police Department at 
888-888-8823. Again, you can remain anonymous. If you have a case you would like me to cover, please email me at beforeamberpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. Please like, follow, or subscribe so you get notifications whenever the next episode is released. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Sources for this case include yahoonews.com, cairo7.com, thecrimewire.com, themissingkids.org, truecrimemf.com, thespokesman.com, nbcdfw.com, newspapers.com, peacock documentary, the girl behind the alert, the peacock documentary, Amber, the girl behind the alert. Have a good day, everyone. Talk to you soon. Later.